The anticipation is building. Can you feel it? Well, let's do it. You've got questions. We've got answers. It's time for The Line of Fire with your host, activist, author, international speaker, and theologian, Dr. Michael Brown. Your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Michael Brown is the director of the Coalition of Conscience and president of Fire School of Ministry. Get into The Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. That's 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us on The Line of Fire. This is Michael Brown. It's the Friday broadcast, which means you've got questions, we've got answers. We'll be getting to your calls momentarily, 866-348-7884. Just looking at our call screener, have they gotten tied up somewhere in the building? I don't see the phones being answered. All right, be patient. We'll be getting to you momentarily, 866-34-TRUTH. There we go. There we go. All right. Let me just tell you a quick personal story. I'd started preaching in 1973 and always loved to preach, then started teaching an adult Sunday school class the next year and obviously absolutely loved doing that and have been teaching and preaching the word ever since all these decades. And of course, before I officially preached or taught, I was sharing the gospel constantly. Well, when I was called out of my secular job, it would have been earlier, if not for some of my academic pursuits, when I was finally called out of my secular job, God laid it on my heart, quit my job and go teach at a Bible school, hadn't even hired me yet, 1983. Then I began teaching pretty much for nothing initially, and then was hired full time. And to be perfectly candid, the salary was way under what was needed to live on Long Island, married with two kids at that point. But the philosophy of the school was that they only wanted people that were called. And this way, if you were underpaid, you'd only be there because you were called. Well, I was not there for the money anyway. And I remember the first time that I got a check. Remember, it was a small check. But the first time that I got a check for teaching, I thought, how is this? Because I love teaching the word. So not only was I freed up to be able to pray more, study more, teach more, preach more, serve more, but I was getting paid for it. I, I couldn't believe it. And here I have the privilege of traveling around the world, sharing the gospel, being on the radio with you five days a week, writing, pouring my life. It's, it's a joy. And I, I get to do this. It's not for a living, but it's, it's what I do for a living. What a privilege. What a joy. So any question of any kind on any subject relevant for Christian radio, let's do it. 866-34-TRUTH. And we are going to start in Rockland, California, Brianna, welcome to the line of fire. Thanks, Dr. Brown. Um, so I had a question. My uncle really threw me for a loop the other day when talking to him about my one-year-old daughter. He's a Tato Baptist and holds to covenant theology for mm-hmm. some context, um, and I do not. He asked me, if I do not believe in infant baptism— then what is my daughter considered? Is she a Christian? Is she considered an unbeliever? Am I even allowed to call her a child of God? Um, I had no idea how to answer him. I felt kind of uh, taken off guard because I guess I haven't thought of that before. Can you help me make sense of that in my head? Surely. Uh, And first, nothing to even be embarrassed about because it's not one of those things that you have a chapter and verse that specifically addresses it. But being a debater... The first thing I would do is completely turn this around 
And I would ask, can you give me a single example in the New Testament of anyone being baptized who did not do with a, with a confession of faith? Can you give me a single example? Can you give me, give me an example where anyone was baptized without being told either to believe or repent or both? So can this infant or can this one-year-old believe? No. Can this one-year-old repent? No. Well, then they shouldn't be baptized. So then you turn around and say, so are you saying that when the child is baptized, the child becomes saved? Where is there any notion as a Baptist that we're saved by anything but faith? So what does the infant baptism do? And if he says, well, in Acts 16, it says that, that the jailer and his household were baptized. It also said Paul preached the word to the jailer and his household. They're obviously old enough to hear and to respond. So I turn that around on him. If you're a Catholic, uh, you might believe, in, in, maybe in past generations, that if a baby died without being baptized, they'd go to a limbo kind of place. Uh, but otherwise, where is there any hint that baptism changes the state of the child? It, it would be more of a dedication or something like that. So my simple answer would be this, that we believe that there is a certain innocence, even though all are guilty in Adam, that there is a personal innocence before God. For example, Deuteronomy 139 talks about children not knowing the difference between good and evil. There are other passages that talk about reaching an age, like in, in Isaiah 7, for example, reaching the age where you can distinguish between good and evil. And then you have Jesus telling us in Matthew 18 that we have to become like little children to enter the kingdom of God. So I would say, I would look at my child as a child of God right now in innocence, not accountable for sin in the way an adult would be accountable. And at which time he becomes accountable, then he will either receive the Lord and now as an accountable person come into the kingdom, or God forbid, he will reject the Lord, at which point he identifies himself as a non-believer. That's how I would say it. So right now he is a child of God by innocence uh, because of lack of accountability. And when he becomes accountable, then he will either open his heart and say, Lord, I want to follow you, at which case uh, he is he is now a born-again child of God, or uh, he will reject and say, hey, look, everything you're saying, you could at least give scriptural support for in terms of, of children not being accountable the same way, becoming like children to enter the kingdom. But he does not have a stitch of support for baptism having an effect on a baby. Thank you so much. That really helps. It makes me feel better as a mom. <laughs> good, good. And look, keep peace in the family above all, right? Absolutely. Thank you so much, Dr. Brown. God bless you and your work. God bless you. Thank you. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Jake in Michigan. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hey, how's it going, Dr. Brown? I appreciate you taking my call. You bet. Um. I heard you a couple weeks ago, maybe it was last week, you were talking about um, uh, how you said something along the lines of uh, you, you're expecting counterfeit signs and giftings in the future. Yeah, and, I mean, they're, they're, uh, they've, always, they've always been here. Whenever God's moved, mm -hmm. there have been counterfeits. Whenever he's moved in a major way, there are counterfeits or attempted counterfeits. And we know that the coming of the Antichrist Second Thessalonians 2 will be marked by all types of counterfeit signs, wonders, and miracles. And at the same time, of course, the book of Acts tells us the last days is characterized by great outpouring of the Spirit. So I'm expecting the greatest display of God's miracles we've ever seen and the greatest display of Satan's counterfeit miracles. So my question is a, is a 
two-part question. And um, it's related to um, some unusual, I guess you'd call it giftings or signs that I had heard about recently. Mm-hmm. Things like, um, uh, well, there's a book that I heard a review on called The Physics of Heaven. And in that book, they talk about something called quantum mysticism, where they try to relate, like, our physical body parts and our brain connected to the spiritual world and how they go into further depth and say that everything to do with the spiritual realm is um, of God, but the devil stole it, so we got to take it back. So they promote stuff like tarot card reading in the name of Jesus and uh, stuff like that. Um, the author of the book, uh, you might have heard of him. Um, yeah, so yeah, let, me, let me just jump in. Yeah, let me yeah. just jump in and say a couple things. The uh, I, I got the book and read parts of it, and some of it made sense, and some of it seemed very odd to me. And I, I'd have to read it in more depth, but but some of it, frankly, seemed very odd, and I didn't know what the purpose of it was. The tarot card thing, I looked into a little bit more deeply. It, it's a complete uh, misrepresentation to say that people were using tarot cards Rather, whether this is right or wrong, okay, I'm not defending it right here, but just to say what happened. What I read about it was one church in in particular in another country that was doing this, but they would go to do outreaches at New Age festivals and things where people were all into this. And they had scripture cards. They had cards from the Psalms or other things that they would would use to try to draw people in and, and use that to share the gospel with them and pray for them, et cetera. So it wasn't using tarot cards. It was using scripture-based cards or even just trying to say, hey, maybe the Lord will speak in a language that this person understands with colors and things like that and from there to preach the gospel. So whether someone agrees with that or not, that's, that's what that was about. But to, to be honest, I'm kind of a uh, meat and potatoes person in terms of uh, I'm real simple with, with what's written in scripture and if something's not written in Scripture, then then we have to see, is it contrary to Scripture? If it's not contrary to Scripture, then we have to evaluate it by the fruit it produces, by people being drawn to Jesus, to the Word, to holiness, to turning away from sin, etc. Because a lot of things are, are not explicitly written in Scripture, but you judge it by the fruit. Other things are, are in Scripture, and then we have to look for application. But this this seemed odd to me, just what I had read. Some parts, like I said, I understood what the authors were saying, where they were going. I only read different parts of the book, but some of it did seem odd to me. And and to me, again, only reading parts seemed to be opening us up too much to the spiritual realm in general, as opposed to just seeking the Father for what he gotcha. had. That was just my gotcha. impression. But again, I haven't read it enough to give it a formal review, but it raised concerns. Gotcha. The second part of my question is relating to uh, the epistle of Second John, and I think it's verse 9 or 10, where he talks about um, a false unity and ecumenical kind of uh, thing. And so my question is, with there being all kinds of false signs out there and, and miracles and everything, um, should we be guarded against who we partner with in ministry? And if we are known to partner with anyone who has heretical beliefs, do you think that Second John uh, says it says that we are partnered with them in their evil work? Would yeah. So, and anyone who does point? not remain in Christ's teaching but goes beyond it does not have God. The one who remains in that teaching, this one is both the Father and the Son. So, let me say this: 
I believe that those who deny the gifts and power of the Spirit for today are in very serious error. Now, I've got good friends in that, in that class. I work side by side with people like that. I teach at seminaries that believe that. But I believe that's a very serious error. In, in other words, I could, I could say, well, if you're denying what to me I see throughout the entire New Testament and God is doing all around the world, the denial of the gifts and power of the Spirit for today I could look that look at, at that as a serious error, uh, and and in a way I'd look at that as a serious error. Then I have concerns about s- strange things on the other end. I want to see people operating in the power of the Spirit and the fullness of the Spirit and affirming what Paul says to affirm and not forbidding tongues and encouraging people to one pursue more, prophecy. One more. Right. So all, all I'm saying is this, Jake. Then I got to go. In short, I'm not basing my unity on that. I'm basing it on the absolute fundamentals of the faith. And if this person is a brother or a sister then we are one in Jesus ultimately. More common on the other side. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Thanks, friends, for joining us, 866-34-TRUTH. So, Jake, one one last thing, and in, in deference to other callers, I'll, I'll just say this quickly and, and move on. Uh, we got a call, first call, from a, a gal and her dad, Pato Baptist, right? So one believes in baptizing babies, another believes in uh, adult baptism, and what if they're both Baptists, right? Followers of Jesus, or they're they're Calvinists, right? So so one is a one's that Reformed Calvinist that does not believe in adult, that believes in baptizing babies, the other like James White doesn't. James White, not. he's a Calvinist, I'm an Arminian. He's a heart cessationist, not a heart cessationist, but a cessationist, I'm not. Uh, I'm, I'm post-trib, some of my friends are pre-trib. We don't divide over that. I don't divide over the gifts of the Spirit. But I have just as much concern about believers not walking in the promises of God and embracing the gifts and power of the Spirit for today, which I see as in Scripture and a scriptural mandate, I have just as much concern about people not embracing the things of the Spirit as I have concern about people going after false fire, just to be totally clear on that. Hey, thank you, sir, for the call, 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Lori in Washington. Welcome to the Line of Fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. How are you? Doing very well. Thank you. Um, I have kind of a strange question. I'm not exactly sure how to even frame it, but I I started out because I was watching a debate, and it had to do with some people having a concern about Jewish Americans having dual citizenship and serving in our government, and then it seemed like they were maybe being more supportive of Israel than America first, right? And so mm-hmm. I just heard that debate as a, you know, just to listen to both ideas. And so I started just investigating a little bit more, and I found a lot of things that I never had heard before, very strange things. But I'm older, and this is sort of like an, a younger generation of Christians, but it's pretty big online that... Um, they're, they have a lot of, like, I don't know what to call it, like documentation in newspaper articles going way back and from Israel and even videos of uh, 
I don't know what even to call it, but like Jewish supremacists, where they're like, yeah, you're okay, here, so, so let, 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 let me jump in. Yeah, this is just the latest okay. form of anti-Semitic garbage, of Jew-hating garbage, of Jewish misrepresentation. I've seen quotes from Jewish literature from the Talmud completely taken out of context, completely butchered, turned upside down. It's the same old story, just in, in new but clothes. These were, actually, these were actually videos where they were interviewing rabbis and, and people like uh, even Netanyahu, who, where they were at like conferences. They weren't just like things out of context. You see what I'm saying? And you, you, you and, know that and, for and a fact now. Right, right. But, Lori, but Lori okay. I've been at this for decades and documenting this for decades. How do you right. know things were not taken out of context? How do you know You're things right. were not I twisted? Don't. The only right. problem, so, so what, what, what I, I'm telling you. I don't know that. Right. But the I'm, only I'm problem trying. I have is that when I'm, trying to re- when I'm trying to find a counter argument, the right. only argument I hear is that this is just another conspiracy theory. I'm trying, but uh, Lori, I'm trying to help like you. I'm trying, Lori, someone... Lori, look, okay. Big problem. I can't help you if you don't listen. Okay. I'm, I'm really trying to help you. So just go type in Jewish myths and facts. Okay. Jewish myth and facts type in Israel Palestinians, all right? Or type in a specific question. You, do Jews believe that Gentiles are animals? And then look for Jewish websites, okay? Jewish websites. I do this day and night because the lies are out there day and night. And here's the deal. If this was a standard position that Israel had or that rabbis had, then they'd say it loudly and clearly because there's nothing to hide about it. You you just have to stop and think for a minute. If this is allegedly at conferences, and these are interviews everyone can see, then why would anyone turn around and say, no, I didn't say that, I I don't believe that? Look, I've been asked to be on one particular TV network. I was asked to come on, and I know they are totally liberal and hostile, hostile to what I believe and famous for editing things. So they'll ask you a question and you'll say, oh, that's the funniest thing I ever heard. And, and it's a different thing. Then when they splice it together, they'll take your answer for one question, stick it somewhere else. So I said, I'll do it as long as the show is live. No, we, we won't do that. I said, I'll do it as long as you allow, agree to release the full footage if there's any controversy. No, we won't do that. I'll do it as long as you allow me to record my part as well. No, we won't do that. So he said, no, thanks. So all I'm saying is deceptive editing, taking quotes out of context, giving a wrong impression. It is easily done. So start here, Lori. In fact, I'll, I'll, I'll do this as we're talking. All right. Type in Jewish myths and facts. All right. Jewish myths and facts and here we go. Um, fascinating facts, explore mysteries of Judaism. Or, or let's try this. Israel, myths and facts. Let's do that. Israel, myths and facts. There you go. That's what you want to type in. Israel, myths and facts. It's a good starting place about myths and facts, a guide to the Arab-Israeli conflict. So look at tons of stuff there. Get the record set straight there. Okay, that's one thing. Second thing, second thing is type in Jewish myths and facts, and then look for sites that are Jewish sites. 
all right? Not anti-Semitic sites like JewWatch.com, but Jewish sites. Check those out. And then get my book, Our Hands Are Stained With Blood. Or in fact, wait, wait till September. The new edition will come out. Our Hands Are Stained With Blood, the tragic story of the church and the Jewish people. In detail, we document with links, with literature, all types of exposés of this anti-Semitic garbage and junk. What's interesting is that the people putting it out will virtually never talk with us or come on the air and debate the issue. So search for Israel myths and facts, search for Jewish myths and facts, and that'll answer probably 90% or more of your questions. And if you have a specific question about a specific quote, then just write to us through the website and we'll be very, very happy to respond to you. All right, thanks for calling and and please do your best to take in this information because it'll answer all the questions that's why we tell you it's the standard anti-Semitic garbage. We've seen it before. Just change the dates, change the faces, the same garbage, unfortunately. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to John in Waldorf, Maryland. Welcome to the line of fire. Hey, how's it going? Doing well, thank you. Awesome. I just a uh, question about, is the King James Version of the Bible... The um, preserved word of God. First question. It's it's a good translation, but with many errors, and we have better manuscripts now to to work with and better understanding the language. So it's it's a good translation, uh, fine translation, but uh, with many errors in it, and that's why it's always good if if you can only read English and can't read the original languages, then to just compare a bunch of different translations, and then that's where you can see where there might be a different way to translate the word, but the King James version is an excellent translation. If you read the preface to it, the translators were doing their best to bring a new translation in the language of the people and were learning and studying. And you can be sure that if they kept living, they, they would have produced new and improved translations. That was their spirit. They make that very clear. Okay. And second is uh, when you say errors, what do you mean by that? And is, is Job, the chapter of Job, an error as well. What do you mean the chapter of Job? I I was told and searched online and a couple of videos that people say there's many errors in Job. I don't know specifics. I just... yeah, Job, Job is real difficult to translate, but uh, Job 28 is the worst part of the King James translation. Uh, Job 28, the first five or six verses get very obscure in the King James. So if you just read it in the new King James, uh, you'll find it much improved or other modern translations. The MEV, the modern English version is in the spirit of the King James, very close to the King James, but uh, is improved in certain spots. Yeah. So, so the book of Job, um, the 28th chapter, the first five or six verses, the King James is, is fairly obscure there and it's best to read uh, a modern translation Uh, here. Let me, let me just read it to you. In, in the King James, surely there's a mine for silver in a place where gold is refined, iron is taken from the ground, and copper is smelted from ore. That's okay. A miner puts an end to the darkness. He probes. Uh, I'm, I'm sorry. No, no wonder I'm reading from, uh, was not reading from the King James there. Let me switch over. Surely there's a vein for the silver in a place for gold where they find it. Iron is taken out of the earth and brass is molten out of the stone. He setteth an end to darkness and searcheth out all perfection. The stones of darkness and the shadow of death. The flood breaketh out from the inhabitant. Even the waters forgotten of the foot, they are dried up. They are gone away from men. 
as for the earth, out of it cometh bread, and under it is turned up, as it were, fire. So if I read instead, for, say, from the ESV, surely there's a mine for silver and a place for gold that they were fine. Iron is taken out of the earth and copper is smelted from the ore. Man puts an end to darkness and searches out to the father's limit, the ore in gloom and deep darkness. He opens shafts in a valley. The King James was the flood breaketh out from the inhabitant. ESV, he opens shafts in a valley away from where anyone lives. They're forgotten by travelers. They hang in the air. Far away from mankind, they swing to and fro. As for the earth, out of it comes bread, but underneath it is turned up as by fire. So it's talking about miners, people searching for silver and gold, and ultimately saying you can find that, but you can't find wisdom. Only God knows its source. That being said, the King James is a beautiful, wonderful, glorious translation with a historic place in English history, but in places it needs improvement, especially there. All right, thank you for the call, sir. It's the Line of Fire with your host, Dr. Michael Brown. Get into the Line of Fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Hey, friends, one thing you could do if you're unable to get through, or I can't get to your call. Obviously, there are only so many we can get to each week. We do our best to respond in social media, but there's only so much we can do. The good news is we have thousands of hours of material for you free online. Sure, you can, you can buy my books, you can buy teaching series and things like that. We encourage you to do so in areas of interest, but we have a phenomenal digital library on my website, askdrbrown.org. So a caller just asked about King James. Uh, some hold to King James only in a fanatical way that you forget about the Hebrew and the Greek, that the King James is the perfect Bible. And of course, we take strong issue with that. So I have a video that you can watch on our digital library, Dr. Brown refutes King James only. It's not telling you don't use the King James. I read it cover to cover five times as a new believer, memorized about 4,000 verses out of it the first couple of years. I love and honor and respect the King James, but there are better translations today. So you can go there and see that. Uh, yesterday, I recorded a short video. Someone had sent me a clip, a teaching by Dr. Chuck Missler, where he raised concerns he had about a post-trib rapture, and he did it concisely and with respect, knowing this is a debate between brothers. So I was asked to respond to it. And out of respect for Dr. Missler, he's with the Lord now, because so many people liked his teaching. Uh, I said, okay, let, let me put something together. So it's a short video already getting a ton of attention on YouTube. You can watch it on my digital library, askdrbrown.org. Dr. Brown responds to Dr. Chuck Missler's post-trib rapture concerns. So check those out. 866-34-TRUTH. Let's go to Sam in Tampa, Florida. Welcome to the Line of Fire. How's it going? Going well. Thank you, sir. Need you to speak up, please. Uh, so, hold on. Can you hear me better? There you go. Awesome. So my question was about um, baptism. Um, in Matthew, Jesus says to baptize in the name of the whole, uh, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Mm -hmm. And then in Acts, we have examples of the apostles baptizing in Jesus' name. Um, so I was just wondering if you could expound on that and just clarify that. Yeah, sure. It's a very common question, Sam, and I appreciate you asking it. Number one, we know from other early church literature 
from early followers of Jesus that that is how they baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And this was very important that people were understanding, even hearing God's plan of salvation, the Father sending the Son, the Son sending the Spirit, and and you are now being immersed uh, in that name with that formula. The book of Acts, Acts 2.38 is the first passage, and, and others speak about being baptized in Jesus' name. And there are several different expressions used in Greek, interestingly. One is being baptized in Jesus' name, another baptized into Jesus' name, and another baptized upon Jesus' name, if we were going to be literal there. So scholars say there are several different things that are going on. One is it could be baptized while calling out to Jesus for salvation. Another is you are being baptized into Jesus. Romans 6 tells us we are baptized into his death, and then we, we rise with him in resurrection. Uh, it's being baptized into the, the body of Christ as well. So the right formula to use is to baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Spirit. It could mean as people are calling out to Jesus for salvation, or they are being baptized into his death and resurrection. So you're being baptized into Jesus and by the power of his name. Uh, if someone said, well, I was baptized in the name of Jesus. Well, it doesn't mean the baptism wasn't valid. I don't believe God is nitpicking in that particular way. I'm quite sure that when people say, unless you were baptized using the formula in the name of Jesus, then you're going to hell. That's nonsense. And I'm quite sure that Jesus is not the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Absolutely not for a thousand reasons. But uh, this is the right formula to use and we are baptized while calling on him for salvation, baptized into Jesus for our salvation. Hey, Sam, thanks for the question. Uh, 866-34-TRUTH. Uh, let's go to Robert in Central Coast, California. Welcome to the line of fire. Hello, Dr. Brown. Yes, uh, I also called last week. I said I was the Gentile believer. Uh, ah, anyway. I, Robert, uh, Robert, hang, hang on, hang on, hang on. I, I hate to do this to you. But you either used a different name or a different place. But we have a rule about that. So our call screener is going to get right back to you and explain that. But we don't allow calls. The only way it got through is a different location was listed or, or something. Uh, so my apologies. I know you're all enthused with your question. I know this seems rude, but I'm doing this totally in deference to other callers. Uh, we don't allow calls within a few weeks of each other. Uh, to be fair to others that are able to get through. So my apologies. I know you were being honest, but I'm, I'm just trying to be upright with everyone else. And our call screener will get right back to you, make sure we're all clear on that. So please don't think I'm being rude, man. I, I, I hope you can understand. I'm just trying to honor all the others that are trying to get through. All right. So stick around for a second. Our call screen will just chat with you. All right. I hope I didn't alienate a friend there. Okay. Uh, let's go to New York City. Jim, welcome to the line of fire. Hi, Dr. Brown. Thanks for taking my call. You're welcome. Um, I really enjoyed your book, Authentic Fire, uh, but I'm curious when it comes to charismatic worship. And the Bible gives us examples such as dancing, singing, and lifting up holy hands, but do we have a biblical basis for the other things we often see, like being slain in the Spirit and laughing uncontrollably and violently shaking? And, and there's even these new pictures from Bethel Church showing worshipers using a honey holy barrel or something. And like, should we yeah, be so, concerned that these behaviors aren't biblical? 
Yeah, so first, first thing is I'd be very concerned about churches that don't have the Holy Spirit moving in their midst, that don't have prophecy, that don't have tongues, that don't regularly pray for the sick, because we're told to do that. And that's the pattern in the mm-hmm. New Testament. You come together, there's tongues, there's prophecy, there's, uh, there's always prayer for the sick. Uh, not only so, I'd be concerned about churches that don't raise their hands because we're called, you know, we're told to uh, clap our hands. We're told to uh, dance to the Lord. We're told to. So I would first say, okay, what about the massive number of churches that don't do that when scripture tells us to, I mean, first Timothy two, you know, men, you know, raise holy hands in prayer and all the Psalms telling us to lift our hands and Psalm 41 clap to the Lord, all the nations. And, and in Psalm 150, you know, dance to the Lord and celebrate and so on. And then Paul saying, don't forbid tongues and everyone should per- earnestly pursue prophecy, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So all, all, right. that, being, all that being said, all that being said, uh, that's the first thing I want to draw attention to. And that's a whole lot of churches that even claim to be Bible churches that don't do what's explicit in Scripture. So let, can we agree that that's a big concern? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Okay, second thing is, I have been in hundreds and 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 hundreds of churches and services and meetings all around the world. And the amount of times I've seen uncontrollable laughter is maybe one in a thousand or one in 10,000 a uh, violent shaking, maybe one in 500. Uh, the thing you just mentioned, the Bethel thing I've never heard of, not a clue of it, never seen it in 47 years of, of following the Lord and 45 years of ministry all around the world. So if there's some weird thing out there, just call it weird. As far as people falling in the spirit, yeah, that happens all the time. And it doesn't prove anything either way. In other words, the, the Bible doesn't say that this shouldn't happen. The Bible certainly doesn't say it will happen. But we have many examples of people being completely overcome by the spirit in Scripture. Uh, Moses being unable to minister in the tabernacle, the priest being unable to minister in the in the temple at the time of dedication because the presence of the Lord was there and they, they literally could not enter and stand there. And people falling down as dead uh, when, when God appeared. I've prayed for people that were unbelievers. And when I prayed for them, the power of God, they were overwhelmed. The power of God fell on their faces weeping. I've seen that happen. Uh, and and they, were, they were overcome. So, but on the other hand, anybody can fall. Anybody can fake it. I'm sure it happens all the time that it's not real. And I'm sure it happens all the time when it is real. So what I want to do, because it's not explicitly found in Scripture either way, Jim, what I want to do is say, okay, well, what's the lasting fruit from this? If someone said, man, I was prayed for last night at this church, the power of God fell upon me. I was I like fell on my back. I was just like two hours just overcome by God. Okay, well, what's happened now? Is there a change in your life? Have you turned away from sin? Are you hungry for the word? Do you want to share Jesus with people more? If they say yes to all of that, and it's something that really happened through that prayer, I'm going to rejoice and glorify the Lord. If on the flip side, they said, yeah, this preacher was praying for everybody. And at the end of the night, they were all saying, we don't need the Bible. And, and there are many paths to God and, and sin is fine. Then I'd have massive concerns. So I'm, I'm going right. to judge by the, by the larger fruit. But honestly, uh, because you have uh, hundreds of millions of charismatics around the world, you're going to have flakes. You're going to have weird stuff. I, I Skyped Nigeria. My visa didn't come in until I was supposed to be in Nigeria this past weekend. So God's moving mightily in Nigeria but there's a lot of junk. There's a lot of mixture. There's a lot of counterfeit. 
So I, I, I taught against hyper grace. I taught against carnal prosperity message. Uh, I, I gave warnings about the idea that ministry exalts us as opposed to calls us to serve. Then we taught about, you know, sexual issues and what the Bible says. So for sure there are problems, there are aberrations, there are abuses, there's weird stuff. Just don't let that scare you away from the real. Hmm, for sure. What about this claim that we're utilizing Eastern mysticism to induce like trance-like states? Is there is there any weight to that? Nah. Nah. I mean, I, it's only from people on the outside that would think it. In which I've never. I, okay, let me just say this: in all my experience, and I got a lot of experience in charismatic circles, and was a leader in the Brownsville revival for four years. So we had hundreds of services and and millions of people come through our doors. I've never, I've never once honestly seen anything like that. So Eastern mysticism is kind of like emptying your brain and then just coming to a place of just meditating on one thing. Our services, we're singing praises to Jesus. We're rejoicing. We're saying amen to mm, messages. Right. Uh, you know, in prayer time, you're not emptying your brain, but you're just saying, Lord, touch me. Lord, I just want a fresh touch from you, God. You're, we're asking our Father for bread. He's not going to give us a stone. But if I, if I encountered a practice, Jim, where people were, were saying, okay, we just empty our minds now and just focus on like a certain distant place or say like something, you know, mm, I'd jump up and stop the thing. That would be right. completely out of order. I, I, look, I've seen, I'll just say this last thing, Jim. I've seen people say, well, you sing a song over and over. Some, sometimes we are too repetitive, sure. But sometimes you're just singing a song from all your heart pouring your heart out to God and you're focusing on the words and you're focusing on him and you're focusing on the message just like some of the psalms have that refrain give thanks to the Lord he's good his mercy endures forever repetitive worship can be wonderful based on truth it's the line of fire with your host activist author international speaker and theologian Dr. Michael Brown your voice of moral, cultural, and spiritual revolution. Get into the line of fire now by calling 866-34-TRUTH. Here again is Dr. Michael Brown. Yeah, here, here's, a, here's a critic describing a, a service in the Brownsville Revival. It was a very frequent thing to see the place full of outcries, faintings, convulsions, and such like, both with distress and also with admiration and joy. Oh, Sorry. That was not a critic describing the Browns revival. That was Jonathan Edwards describing the Great Awakening. It was a very frequent thing to see a house full of outcries, faintings, convulsions, and such like, both with distress and also with admiration and joy. Every time there's been great revival outpouring, those kind of things have happened. So I've seen people violently shake when demons left them. I've seen them violently shaking under conviction of sin. I've seen them violently shake when overcome by the presence of God. Yeah, I've seen all of that. It's just not the, it's not a norm. It's not a common thing. Uh, so I was, I didn't want someone to take an unusual thing and make it the norm. When you go to a charismatic church, that's just what happens everywhere. Jim, my book, the revival answer book will also help you a lot. All right. Um, by the way, I see a call from Jordan in Kalamazoo, Michigan. Why do I ascribe to dispensationalism? I don't. If I ascribe to dispensationalism, I would not have written a book with professor Craig Keener. Why we don't believe in a pre-tribulation rapture. Our book, Not Afraid of the Antichrist. Of course, I don't ascribe to dispensationalism. I've got friends that are dispensationalists. Anyway, if I get the chance to talk to you more, I will. All right, let's go to Jeff in North Carolina. Thanks for calling the line of fire. 
Wow. Thanks for uh, having me on. This is uh, quite uh, the humbling experience getting to talk to you. I have tremendous amount of respect for you and your ministry and just the uh, amazing knowledge that you have. I love watching, especially your debates uh, with the rabbis. Um, but uh, I never thought I'd live to see the day where I actually kind of disagree with you. On there we thing, go. But I'm not ca- there we go. That's well, all right. <laughs> but I will tell you up front, I'm not calling to argue. I, I really won't sincerely want to try to understand your perspective, but I kind of have a couple of questions with regards to the rapture. I understand yeah. um, you, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you believe that the rapture happens at the end. Uh, yeah, there's one, there's one, right, there's one second coming, one return of Jesus, okay. and we go out to meet him as he returns. Yeah. Okay. Here, here's the question I have. I, I just came across, I think it was yesterday. I'm, I'm, I'm blind, by the way, so uh, oh, right. I, I, I don't exactly, uh, I'm not real quick with the, looking up information, but it, it was like a 57-minute video that you just did uh, about this topic, talking about your book. And I listened to it, I want to say it was yesterday or this morning, and so I'm, I'm just considering it uh, pretty, pretty miraculous that I even get to talk to you now. I think that's pretty neat. Um, but the question is I, that I was surprised, and I guess you know, time constraints being what they are may have been the reason, but it seemed like, if I remember correctly, all of your references that you were using were New Testament. And I guess the first question I have is if you kind of disregard the possibility of pre-tribulation rapture, then what do you make of what's your take, I should say, rather, on the Yom Teruah, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, if that's an unfulfilled feast, oh, yeah, of course. Jesus perfectly exactly. fulfilled all, of, all yes. of the feasts of his first coming in the spring. So, totally. so fill me in on that one first. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, that, of, of course, he's com- what's he coming back with? The sound of a trumpet, right? Right. All right, so what does it say in First Thessalonians 4? He's coming with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God, and we'll meet him in the air, right? right. Was it say right. in 1 Corinthians 15, he's coming with the last trumpet, sound of the last trumpet, last trumpet. and that, right? Last trumpet. And what's written in Matthew 24? Hang on. Matthew 24, all right? It says that immediately after the tribulation of those days, the distress of those days, that the world will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven, and it'll be with the sound of the loud trumpet, okay? It's all described the same way the sound of the trumpet, the trumpet blast, right? So we agree he's mm-hmm. coming with that, but that is explicitly a post-tribulational coming that the whole world sees. That's number one. And number two, it, if you say the rapture is first, well, then why is that the last trumpet when seven years later is when he's coming with the trumpet blast and the whole world sees it and hears it? All right. Well, let me, can I, let me ask you this. And yeah. Uh, it, so again, in part, I don't have quite the understanding you do, but but here's what I do understand is that that there's a, there's a difference, or uh, my understanding that there's a difference between the glorious appearing and the second coming. Glorious appearing being the rapture, and the last trumpet's referring to is the last trumpet sound, and I forget the Hebrew name for that last long blast of the hundred blast. No, it's, that, it's that false. They do on, on that day. There's no, there's nothing in Jewish literature that calls that the last trumpet. That, that's some, some idea that somebody had. Okay, the last trumpet is, is like the last day. We're raised up on the last day. And wouldn't it be strange that right. there's a last trumpet and seven years later another trumpet? This is the whole myth. There is nowhere in the New Testament that distinguishes between the, the, what we call the rapture and the second coming. 
or the glorious appearing in the second coming. It's not a verse. There's not a, there's not a hint of a verse. It's something people were taught and now they're, they're looking for it. It would, it would be, sir. And you, you know, you reference yourself being blind. And I say, well, some people are blind and some people can't see. Uh, and you right, say, well, it's a, <laughs> right, right. Exactly. It's all, all the same. Jesus coming in the clouds of heaven for the whole world to see. That's what we're waiting for. And that's when we're caught up to meet him. And that's the fulfillment of Yom Truah, which then leads immediately into what? Israel's repentance and the Day of Atonement. That's 10 days later, not years later. And then that leads to what? Five days after that, Sukkot, Tabernacles, as the survivors of the nations that attacked Jerusalem uh, come up to, to, uh, to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles. Well, then I have a potentially stupid question, and I don't know how else to ask it, but just to ask it, and I please, I, I, this, don't worry about in it. No way, in no way, do I mean any disrespect, but I don't know how else to ask it. It's like it, being caught up in the air at the end after everything is done. What's what? What's the point in that? I don't, I don't get it. We're meeting, I, I we're meeting the king. Me. Yeah, we're meeting the king as he's coming. It's not to escape. It's it, the only thing we're escaping is his when he pours out his wrath with his second coming. Right. So we're caught up to meet him and then he, he descends and destroys the wicked. But the reason we're meeting well, him, does it say that he turns around? No, the word for meeting is when you go out as, with the entourage to meet the incoming king where the, the emperor is coming. So you go out to meet him and escort him back. So here's the other reason for it, though. And this is a big one. OK, the whole world is going to see it. We have been persecuted <laughs> and mocked and told Jesus will never come. This is a myth. And, and we have been beheaded and crucified for our faith and suffered for our faith as we have through all the years and yet overcome. Now for the whole world to see, he appears. We're caught up. So there's a public outward vindication. We are spared from the wrath that he then pours out as he returns. And what does it say in Second Thessalonians 1? That he will be glorified among us and give us rest when he comes in flaming fire. So we're waiting for this amazing public event. We're not meeting him in the air because he's turning around going back to heaven. No, we're meeting him as he comes down to earth. We now escort him. We're part of his entourage for the whole world to see. It's a public vindication for the whole world to see, not a secret catching away and suddenly cars start crashing and planes start crashing because there's nobody driving them. All right. Right. Well, let me ask you one, one final question, and I'll, I'll let somebody else have a chance here. But, but then, why the two witnesses, my two witnesses? Because here, here's what, what, what my Messianic rabbi uh, kind of says all the time, and I, I imagine this would apply to you, too, that if we're in the midst of everything that's going on around that time, where's everybody else? Wouldn't, you know— Oh, there's my, plenty my of other—but there's plenty of other witnesses. Just read Revelation 7. It speaks of a multitude no one can number from every tribe and tongue coming out of the Great Tribulation. So there are multitudes of believers there. It, it speaks of 144,000 Jews sealed, which is probably representative of the fullness of Israel. But read through. It keeps mentioning other believers. It's not just two witnesses. It keeps mentioning other believers. And, and Jeff, this, la- this last thing, with all respect to your Messianic rabbi, uh, the two witnesses could also be symbolic. There's constant debate about that revelation is full of symbolism. But through revelation, it keeps talking about the believers who keep the commandments of God. And sometimes they're supernaturally protected. And other times they're killed. That we're all here. We're here. We're here right till the end. 
as always, once you take off the idea that there's all these separations and just read, it's like, oh, it's not there. It's with all respect to my pre-trip friends. I was taught it. I embraced it zealously for the first few years in the Lord and then realized I didn't get this from the Bible. I got this from books. When I went just back to reading the Bible, so it wasn't there and I've never turned back since. All right. God bless you, Jeff. Thanks for being so gracious. Um, by the way, Genesis 1 definition of day, just like the English word day, it can refer to a 24-hour period. It can refer to daytime. It can refer to day just meaning a, a period of time. Different possible, like the day of the Lord in the Bible, is it could be a period of time. Uh, so just like the English word day does not have to specifically mean 24 hours, just like the English word day. Um, all right, tell you what, I'm, <clears throat> I wish I had more time, but I am out of time. And all I can encourage you to do, if you didn't get through, and it's an urgent issue, go to our digital library, sdrbrown.org. Go there and check to see if we've answered your question. Just search for whatever the topic is. And if you really need an answer, then write to us. We have a team that works with me that will do their best to answer your questions. And if you appreciate what you're doing, what we're doing, if we've been a blessing and a help to you, join our support team. We are listener-sponsored, viewer-sponsored. We do what we do with your help. So this is all a team effort, paying for the radio bills, paying to produce the videos and everything that we do. It's a team effort. So partner with us. Your one-time gift, your monthly support makes a massive difference. Take a moment, if you would, go to AskDrBrown, ASKDRBrown.org. Click on Donate. Together, we will make a great difference in the days ahead. God bless you.